Allow me to reintroduce myself. My name is Nate. This is the Nate Show podcast. You could be anywhere in the world, but you're here with me, and I appreciate that. Be sure to follow along on social media at the Nate Show on Facebook and at that's Nate Cox on Instagram. You can also ask Alexa or Siri to play the Nate Show podcast, and she'll start playing it. How about that? So thank you for tuning in. Let's get to it. Hello and welcome to the Nate Show podcast. In a lot of cases, welcome back to the Nate Show podcast. If you haven't got a chance to listen to part one of my conversation with Brandy Augustus, uh, before we get into part two here, I would highly suggest you click off of this one. Go click on that one. Wherever you found this podcast at, just scroll one down and you'll find it. Uh, definitely check that out. It will inform a lot of the things that we discuss here in part two. But also, I want to say if you don't feel like doing that, you'd rather just listen to this one straight through, that's fine as well. Um, I just want to give you a, a heads up, as I did in the previous episode. Uh, this uh, conversation was recorded via a telephone call. Now, I had my microphone, the one I'm speaking into right now, set up, but for some reason it died in the middle of the conversation. So I ended up just using the audio on both ends, uh, mine and hers from the phone call. So there are times where it may sound a little bit staticky or a little bit choppy. I would say just hang in there because it's worth, especially her end of the conversation is worth hearing from and listening to and learning from. Some of the topics that we discuss in this episode and in the previous one may not be for you. You may not agree with the views that are expressed here. I would still say, listen to it, not just because of me and I want you to listen to the podcast, whatever, but because it's, it is, it's a, it's a perspective, like I said, that's worth learning from and gaining something from, which I believe you can, even if you leave disagreeing with her completely, it's at least good to have that, um, kind of be able to see both sides of the conversation. You know, we touched on a lot of things in part one. Um, I won't spoil anything, but in part two, we kind of just talk about how she made it from Cincinnati, uh, a little bit of a brief stop in Arkansas, made it to East Tennessee. Um, part of the Arkansas story is, actually involves a an interesting story involving a bowl of noodles, so definitely make sure you stay long enough to hear that. Um, she mentions a compliment that she was paid at one point that actually wasn't a compliment. Um, that's an interesting part of the story. But also, we kind of end the conversation talking about uh, the you've heard the term in recent weeks defund the police and what does that mean she's going to talk about what that means to her and in light of you know it, how it relates to the work that she's doing so again if you hear those words and you have sort of a visceral response hear her out hear what we talk about because it's at least worth considering some of the things that we cover and go over but I don't want to talk about it anymore I kind of want to let her um, you know do all the talking here so as we lead into part two of my conversation with Brandy Augustus, I would say one more time real quick. Um, if you clicked on this podcast, there are some links that you can click on to see all the different type of work she's doing in her community and the surrounding area. I would strongly suggest listening or, or clicking on those and listening to what she has to say about those in part one as well. But without any further ado, here is part two of my conversation with Brandy Augustus. Yeah, Timothy Thomas was 19, and he had he was murdered, shot in the back multiple times by um, Cincinnati PD officer. And by the way, for context, you're originally from Cincinnati, right? Oh, for better context, I was actually born in Plainfield, New Jersey, and then I moved to Cincinnati when I was five. Okay, and that's gotcha. where I lived for 20-plus years. 
Okay. And then yeah. I moved down to like Little Rock, Arkansas for two years. And then I ended up in Knoxville. Little so. Rock. Wow. Yeah. So that's quite a that's quite a journey, especially considering the culture and the line of work that you're in. Oh child. <laughs> <laughs> um but when Timothy Thomas was killed, the Stephen Roach is his name. Officer okay. Stephen Roach um was acquitted of all charges. And when he was acquitted, the city exploded. And there were what they call the Cincinnati race riots, but it was a city in pain because that wasn't the first black man to be murdered by the police, but we wanted it to be the last. So what we saw and what we're seeing across the nation right now happened in Cincinnati. And Cincinnati, um, they called it the National Guard, um, I mean, they were met with, like, what you see right now happened in Cincinnati. So um, the city went on curfew, and, like, many cities do or whatever, and all of that happened. But um, it wasn't until, because downtown Cincinnati is a major entertainment um, draw. I mean, you have the... Um, Cincinnati Bengals, you have the Reds, you have, like, the Jazz Fest, the Taste of Cincinnati, you have, like, all of these things that go on down there. It's a major hub for many people. It's, like, very convenient for people to come and just, like, kick it so you get a lot of people vacation in Cincinnati or whatever. So this was, like, right in the middle of the summer. So what happened was all of the entertainers that were scheduled to come to Cincinnati that were supporting the community in their hurt and pain um, and feeling this trauma with them decided that they weren't going to come. And that's when the city actually started to respond because that's it started to hurt their pockets. They started canceling these festivals and events that were supposed to be happening and generating income for the riverfront and all of it. So... Um, that's when police reform happened in Cincinnati. But the death kept happening. Um, but, like, we talked about my journey from Cincinnati to Little Rock. So all all of that happened in 2001, and then, you know, 9-11 happened right after that. And then, like, my life got extremely crazy. Um, a lot of people were around me were experiencing immense trauma, and I had to get out of there. Met a boy on the internet, <clears throat> ended up falling in love with this stupid boy and moving down to Little Rock, Arkansas, um, <laughs> and having a baby by this stupid boy. And Statue of Limitations is definitely up for this. Uh, Port Noodles on this little boy's um, penis. Okay. After two no. years. Not where I thought the story was going, but I'm not at all. Not at all. Had a baby. Had a baby. So used it before I abused it. Um, <laughs> poured noodles on him, and he called the police on me. And and uh, I had only been arrested one time, and that was an extremely traumatic experience for me. Yep. Put on me by somebody who was supposed to be protecting me. And I'm like, anybody who calls the police on me is not for me. And I got me and my babies, because I had two by now, um, out and came to 
Knoxville because my best friend had came down here on scholarship from Cincinnati. We had went to high school together, so she had just graduated UT. And when she heard about the noodles and the police, she was like, you can't stay there. And I'm like, you think? I want. <laughs> you need to come down here for two weeks and figure out what you're going to do, whether you're going to go back to Cincinnati or you're just going to go and get your own spot in Little Rock or whatever, but you need to come here. But the way that the universe pulled me here, uh, me and my kids only had two weeks worth of clothes in it, and we didn't go back. We've been here ever since. And I hope to close on my house at the end of this month. It's, it'll be 10 years in August. So I get I get excited anytime someone, my close friends know this about me, anytime someone mentions the way the universe moves and brings everything together, like I get like turned on by that like <laughs> i kind of made that weird by saying it that way but i think you, you know, did like, you did <laughs> yeah well this is the same guy that as you mentioned at the start put his arm around you with a spider-man mask on you had no idea who he was so anyway so <laughs> moving along i want to start in the obvious place real quick though with the noodle story what kind of noodles were they um What's the orange pack? Chicken? <laughs> yeah, it's my favorite. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I got excited about that, too, and you said the orange pack. So. Yeah. <laughs> I love your excitement. <laughs> yeah, but you wouldn't like them then. I mean, I'm trying to. This microphone that I'm using is very sensitive, so you can, like, probably hear people are listening can probably hear me salivating talking about the orange pack. So. Oh, my God. <laughs> but seriously, though, it's crazy to think, though, because you, like, people, like, if you look at, like, probability and statistics, that's the class that, like, a lot of people take in college. If you look at that, like, what are the odds that I'd be in Little Rock, Arkansas, pouring noodles on someone's crotch, and then I'd end up, you know, in Knoxville, doing this, like, doing this for a living. Like, you can't, you literally can't make that <laughs> stuff up. I'm not going to say what hotel I was right. working for, but I will say the person who I was working for. The, no, I won't. No. <laughs> um, oh, I want to so bad, but I was working for a hotel. And um, the person, I the, it was the day I got married. It was uh, June 14th, uh, 2016. And I had started working in the hotel. Um and I was, I didn't know who I was replacing. Like, I just knew that it was a need for a night auditor. I came in and I said, I want this much money. And they were like, well, nobody here really makes that much money. And I laid out my credentials and they was like, okay, well, we can give you this much. <laughs> and it was just like what I had already decided I was going to agree upon. So I was like, All okay, right. cool. Here you go. Um, and when I started that training, it was with the person that I was replacing. And this person's birthday was the same exact birthday as mine. Um, came to find out years later, uh, she's actually a year older than me. But she told me that we had the same exact birthday or whatever. But it was a oh. lot of that. But we had the same exact birthday. And um, she was like, she was a white girl. And she had, I guess, all of these preconceived notions about me from training me that night that she went back and told all of these people, like, I had told her that I was married, and she legit asked me, why was I married before her? And I was like, I just met you. I cannot answer that. <laughs> like, you know, that's not, what What do you mean? <laughs> you know? 
Um, everybody does things in their own time, but that's not what she was trying to hear. It was like really a contest for. But she went back and told everybody, like, um, oh, you know, Brandy married to a white man and, like, that she was blacker than me because she has biracial babies and um, she drinks Tennessee and all this stuff or whatever, just, like, weird stuff. Man. And this went on for, like, a, about a year and a half. And then, like, and, like, you know, microaggressions. Um, and then one day she's in another coworker's Facebook messages that this coworker had left up. And apparently they were selling pills or something. They were selling an assortment of drugs where they were using codes that the girl didn't know what they were. So she kept asking me, so it's this white girl going through some of my messages. It's a Hispanic girl um, who I still love to death. And then it's me, this black girl. She looks over at me and she goes, Brady, what's the R? And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. She was like, you know, in drugs, what's the R? And I'm like, I don't know. I know weed. That's it. And then, like, a couple of moments passed, not even minutes, a couple of moments passed, and she's, like, kind of in frustration, like, Brittany, what's the R? Like, for real, you know what an R is. And I'm like, why are you asking me this? And the my Hispanic coworker, like, looked at me, like, kind of knowingly, and I was like, oh, you asking me because I'm black. And she was like, duh, like, all black people know what all the drugs are. And I, I looked at her, and the Hispanic girl, like, flipped around, and we both said at the same time, I was like, that's racist, like, flat out. And she was like, yeah, no, I'm just playing with you, so this person. So, is- yeah, I was going to say, I don't, I don't mean to laugh, but it's really not funny. But, yeah, yeah. Don't, yeah don't, don't do that. Never mind, so, you know, going through Facebook messages that aren't yours. I mean, oh, it's so later, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to breeze through that. <laughs> and I'm not just saying that because I've had bad experiences with people going through mine. That's a different conversation for yeah. a different time. But anyway, so it's just, yeah, don't, don't any of the things don't you just do mentioned, that. don't do that. Don't do that. Don't be that person. Um, but this person who's doing this is a favorite of management. So, like, right. I learned this throughout the, like, year and a half there before this incident that I came in to replace her because she was failing at her job. And not only was she failing at her job, she was selling rooms, like, but just giving them to people. So we would, like, the staff would come in and there would be dirty rooms that were supposed to be clean and, yep. like, no accounting for it or whatever, like, repeatedly. Um, and then, like, banks would be short and stuff like that. Things that m- normal people would get fired for. But instead, she had to train, quote, unquote, train her replacement so she can go to days, basically. And when that happened, the same things kept happening. But I am extremely diligent about my job, and I legit caught people that she placed in the rooms, and they named her. And I had to, like, put them out, like, y'all can't do this. And y'all knew this was wrong. Yeah. Um, but nothing happened because she was a favorite of management. And I don't want to put it on all of the management. It was one specific person. And following chain of command, when this incident happened with the Facebook messages, I immediately wrote a letter, sent it to management. I sent it to my front office manager, and she was like, this needs to go to the um, – general manager, and that's who the bias is with. Sent to the general manager, she called me into her office. I had never been in a meeting in her office, ever. Right. She 
she called me in, and I thought it was because she was, like, really going to, like, address some shit because I had been saying things, you know, but this is the first written complaint. And she legit just caked for old girl. And she's just like, that's just kind of, she was just playing with you, Brandy. Like, I don't, I think that you're just taking it just really hard right now. And I think that you're just like, trying, you're being a bit too sensitive about this. And I was taken aback. I did, I was not expecting that at all. But then what I was least expecting was how her and the front office manager started treating me after that. After that, it was a lot of, like, not even microaggressions or passive aggressions or whatever. It was, like, legit, Brandy, you are a bad person. Not that I'm doing my job wrong because they can't. I never did my job wrong. They could not say that. They would say that they didn't like me and say, like, attack who I was as a person. Like, well, you know, nobody really likes to work with you because, like, you don't, like, treat everybody the same. And I'm like, what do you mean by that? And they'll say, oh, it's because I don't laugh and joke with everybody. And it was just like, well, yeah, you know, it's just more apparent with some people. And I'm like, that's biased as hell. So you telling me that even though my job is being done just because, like, I'm not friends with people, this is an issue. Got it. This, um, what's wild about this, and I didn't mean to cut you off there, um, <laughs> is that I hope that people don't hear this and just go, well, that's just her example in this one time. This is why, like, I don't know if you saw – earlier this week as we were recording this, the Oklahoma State football player that spoke out about his coach wearing the OAN T-shirt with that, I forget the name of the news network, but it's, an, it's a far-right-leaning news network. Yep. But he came out like, on Twitter or whatever and put his coach on blast and said, I'm not doing anything, whatever, and then walked it back. They did like a public apology, whatever, which seemed like a hostage situation, by the way. Right. But, he was saying, basically from a cue card, I should have come to my coach as a man and talked to him. But, like, this is why that that and, like, what you just told me is why that's not – that doesn't work. Not only does it not always work, it almost rarely ever works. Oh, and then but what people would suggest is, well, you take it to corporate, right? Right. I took it to corporate. <laughs> right. Never heard no. from corporate. They knocked it back down. And so when I um, I started getting sick, that's legit when my IBS started. So before my shift, um, it, I would work the 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. shift. Like, I would spend from 10 to about 10, 15 in the bathroom. Right. Just, it's because, like, I had just woken up and, like, I'm dreading going into work fearing who I'm going to see and how these people are going to treat me. And then one night it was just so bad that I called them and I was like, I can't come in. Now I had never called in before. I, at this point I had been there two years and doing, dealing with six months of like bullshit. Um, and I was like, I just can't make it in the night. And it was like 10, 15. And my manager was like, well, nobody else can work night audit or whatever. And I was like, I get that, but nobody can work it. (laughs) I'm going to have to come in and work it. And I'm like, I am so sorry, but I have never called in before. Never. Had never been late. And she was like, you need to come into work or else. And I was like, I told her I quit. I quit right there on the spot. 
And then when that happened, um, I had applied for, like, my friend from the poetry scene had hit me up and was like, I work for this organization, and they're looking for an office manager, and you have the right personality for it. We're just looking for somebody that's very personable and that communicates well. Um, I'm like, okay, I can do that. What's the organization? And she was like, Highlander Research and Education Center. And I'm like, I've never heard of that before. Let me Google it. And I Googled it. And I realized that I did not have nobody's formal education to work at this social justice training center school educating people on how to get liberated with the likes of Dr. Martin Luther King and um, Rosa Parks and, like, no, wait, no, I can't do this. And she was like, girl, just apply. And I applied. And it was between me and the librarian. And I just knew that that librarian was going to get the job. And when they called me and told me that I did have the job, and it wasn't even necessarily contingent on, but it was something that they were doing for me, which was giving me the education that I didn't get, that I never received. Because I was the office manager, going to be the office manager doing communication. So they invested in me taking college courses through Coursera on communications and development um, because they believed in me that much that this was supposed to be my job. Like I said, the universe pulled me here. Yes. I was just about to say, like, yeah, you you did the right thing. You did what you needed to do uh, to better your situation. And, again, it was one of those things you couldn't, quote, unquote, you couldn't plan it. It's just one of those things that everything fell the way it needed to, but it's because you were diligent and you did your best to always do the right thing. Yep. Um, that's important. I, I hope people don't sleep on how important that is. Like you, even we're talking about the hotel situation, like it didn't quote unquote pan out the way that you, you might've thought it should, whatever, but you still were diligent. Like I said, did the right thing and it, it all turned the way it needed to. Um, We'll start to wrap up here in a second because I could sit here and talk to you all night, <laughs> honestly. But, you know, and you have the – you mentioned it earlier, and you have, even in your profile picture, you have the hashtag defund the police. And that's something that to a lot of people, just hearing those words is controversial. They Not only is there a lot of confusion, there's a lot of visceral response to, like, you know, what is what is that? What does it mean? What's going to happen? Oh, we're going to have this and that. I, if you don't mind, I want you to explain – what that actually means from your perspective and also why you believe it's important and why you're fighting for it right now? Well, I believe in um, to, uh, the abolition of the systems that are failing us in general. Um, when people say that why aren't we pushing for police reform, like what we know is police reform hasn't worked because people, black people, are dying at the hands of police and still at alarming rates. Um, 4.2, I believe it is, times the amount of white people, even though we only make up 30% of the population. So, like, that's how disproportionate things are. Um, when we say defund the police, 
we don't mean just defund the police, take money away from them. We want to defund the police, invest in the systems that are actually taking care of us. So instead of having a police officer be the one that shows up um, to somebody who's sleeping in their car at a Wendy's drive through it would actually be a social worker, an emergency yep. response social worker that shows up and evaluates the situation and actually makes sure that that person is safe, like legit prioritizing their safety. What is going on with you? Why did this happen? Like, or not even a why did this happen? Because I feel that people make mistakes and should not have to die for their mistakes. You know, um, Correct. it's more so of a, what, how can we make you safe? What immediate steps do we need to take to make, get you where you need to be? Um, which isn't a jail cell. You know, that man needs to go home and sleep that shit off. He needed a burger, first of all. Yes. Then he needed to go home, and he needs to sleep it off. But, no, he was not afforded that luxury when we know that killers are actually being taken to Burger King on their way to prison, um, which is... Dylan why- Roof, by the way, for people that didn't get that reference, the Charleston shooter, Dylan Roof, that's what they did. They took him to get him something to eat, took really good care of him, and then, yeah. So, continue. Sorry, I didn't want to interrupt no. you there, but no, for people that, no, thank you. I don't, just, I don't want anyone to think that you're just making things up. Not that you, anyone thought that, but like I just want to make sure there's clarification for people that think that people are just crazy and making things up and all oh, whatever. Like, no, this you, is real. So, I understand the importance of a white male vouch. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. I've grown up in this country. You know, my very first experience here in Knoxville, I told you, like, I worked in hotels or whatever. There was this trucker that came in at 3 o'clock in the morning. First, he wanted to know if the hotel I was at was white-owned or operated. And this was before I had any types of politics around this. And I looked yep. at the sign, Marquis, behind me, and I'm like, uh, no, nah, that's a Raj Patel, and I'm pretty sure no, he ain't white. I haven't met him, but, <laughs> you know. Sounds like maybe, yeah, gotcha. Yeah, so he was like, all right. Well, I said, but the Davidson right down here is. So let me go ahead and call them and get you set up or whatever. So I got his um room and everything set up, and he was so appreciative. So And I told him, like, all you got to do is go there and pick up your key. And he was like, okay, thank you so much. He left out and then immediately turned right back and took off his big-ass um, cowboy hat, placed it over his heart and said, you speak real well for a colored gal. Get this hat and walked out. So I knew that you know, when I, <laughs> it was going to be problems. You know what's fucked up about that? Pardon the language, but he thought he was giving you a compliment. Oh, oh, I know it. Oh, that probably made his heart smile. <laughs> like, he slept so good on that bed that night. Like, he was like, you know what? I did a good deed today. I was even respectful enough to take my hat off. He really did. It placed it on his heart. I was like, oh, my God. Oh, so, like, yeah, I I, I don't even know what got me there, but I'm pretty sure it was very pertinent. And when you go back and listen to it, you're going to make that connection. Well, no, I was, like, clarifying the Dylan Roof thing and about how, the Atlanta shooting, the guy, like you said, and you said it kind of jokingly, but seriously, probably just needed to grab something to eat, get him some water, and yeah, like, 
Carl Douglas, I'm sure you're familiar with Carl Douglas. Uh, for people that know that name but not sure where it's from, he was one of the lead attorneys on the OJ case. He's worked mm-hmm. with the Cochran firm for years. He brought up a good point that I heard recently. He was saying cops are usually the first ones to tell you we're not social workers. Yep. So he was saying when it comes to that, believe them. Yep. Because he was saying something similar about we're not just talking about taking money away from the police and putting it in our pockets. No, let's redistribute no. it to where it's actually helping. We're exactly. And like give these people wages that they deserve to do the life-saving work that they are already doing, you know, and, like, invest in more systems like that and more mutual aid. Like, why isn't housing a human right? You know, like, why are we investing in um, the police budget? Like, we Knoxville just loaded on another $34,000 in training recruitment materials while simultaneously demolishing one of the houseless camps. And I'm like, where are our priorities right now? You know, and why even, are we investing in people? Here's a connection point that I don't think a lot of people really ever make is that even if you even if you're someone that goes, well, if we defund the police, I don't want it going to social workers, send it somewhere else. Like education in itself, like you hear people all the time talking about teachers aren't paid enough, this and that, and they aren't, honestly. They've been defunding education. Yes. So no one seems to have, I mean, they have a problem with it only on Facebook. Teachers don't make enough, but then they don't really know the the ins and outs of that. But I don't don't know if you've ever seen this. A few years ago, it it was kind of a viral video, but like when Chance the Rapper showed up at that town hall in Chicago. And he was fighting for like a ten million, I think it was ten million, like an education yeah. grant or whatever. And they told him no, but they were willing to fund ninety five million dollars worth of new police training. Isn't that wild? And 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 to systems that we know are keeping us oppressed. It's just like I had a discussion with a lady on Facebook and I'm glad that we had it and or that I took the time to have it with her because I hope that it resonated with her and she like realizes some of the revelations that she made. But we were talking about how useful are the police in domestic situations. And she I said, any time that I've ever been involved in a situation, the police have never been a mediator. They have always been an agitator or an aggressor yes. at one point. Um, and she was like, well, I mean, that tends to happen, but, you know, they're just people too. And I was like, yes, they are just people not trained in de-escalation. They yes. are actually trained to, like, shoot a person, you know? like, you, And it's like <laughs> – it, we had when as the conversation went on, she started to recall times where you know people that she know and love were actually harmed by the police showing up to things that they shouldn't have been called to, and it would have been served having somebody else come in. Because she even said she was like, even if my mama would have just got there, all of this would have been squashed, but the police made it before my mama. And I'm like. I guess it's her brother, she said, is in jail for seven years for it was a lot, and it all started from a resisting arrest charge. So it, it didn't even have anything to do with the situation that was at hand. 
it was all charges from the police. So it was like resisting arrest, disorderly conduct, and then like assault on the police officer. It's really not. No, I was just going to say, we don't even know why they was there in the first place because none of that is what he was charged with. Not to make, because I definitely don't want to make a joke out of any of this, but do you remember in Beverly Hills Cop where he got thrown out of the window and then (laughs) he got arrested for disturbing the peace? Like, he was the one that got thrown out of the window. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Yep. Ah. I think you said, (laughs) what's the the charge for getting hit by a car? Jaywalking is like, man, like, but that, like, in a joke, again, it's kind of a joke, but, like, at the same time, that's really what it's like a lot of times. Like, it's just a lot of, you know, I would recommend anyone that's listening or or whatever, watch The 13th on Netflix. Because like, yeah. that that opened up my eyes a lot, and I thought of myself as being somewhat educated on these things, and I was not when I really. And that's just one movie, you know. There's still yeah. a lot more that I personally need to learn and be aware of, um, because I've been guilty of, you know, just kind of looking in the mirror. What you were talking about earlier, this girl was saying that she was, she's blacker than you because she's got mixed, you know, whatever. You know, my my nieces and nephews are mixed. I have a mixed blended family. You know, I always thought of myself as being cool with with different causes and knowing things just because of that. It's no different than when someone says, you know, I have black friends or whatever. Um, I made that mistake for many years and I'm realizing uh, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you by the way, is because I if for, even if no one listens to this, which I hope they do, but if for no other reason I wanted to learn some things from you and get your perspective. Um, was there anything else before we start to wrap up here, whether it was on defunding the police or anything else going on that you would like to speak on that maybe we forgot about or stepped over? It's so much because I realized right. that um, <laughs> it's a lot. It's just a lot going on. So, no, <laughs> um, I just want to encourage people to really, like, imagine what life can look like when people are actually placed over profit or policing. You know, what happens if we do demilitarize our police and how safe would you feel in your community? But try and think about how people who are in over-police communities, how much safer they would feel. Um, Things like that, you know. I just want people to, like, just really be in deep thought around what's happening right now and what people are saying. You know, when we say black lives matter and you say, yeah, but black lives don't matter to black people, I'll start caring about black lives when black people stop killing black people. And it's just like, that's not what we're saying. We're saying all of black lives matter, like not just the ones that are the most presentable or respectable, that's not causing trauma or whatever, because like we don't do that with white people. We don't do that with other communities. Like everybody is of value and of importance, no matter their stature in life. What are some other resources besides your own that you're a part of? We'll get back to those in a second as we wrap up. But what are some other resources that you would recommend people have to learn and get educated and, and kind of figure out their next steps and next moves? Um, I would actually encourage people to listen to the people of color in their lives, specifically the black people, and don't try and 
try and pick the straw man fight all the time. Genuinely, like, listen to gain understanding. Uh, Because people, like, you can read all the books and you can watch all the movies, but people don't. You you know how a lot of people say, like, I can't be racist. I have a black friend. Yes. It's because they have that relationship with that black friend. So actually value what that black friend says in their position. Um, And, you know, like, actually internalize it. That's, um, that's excellent advice. I'm not going to name names here, but so for example, if someone of color is saying that they are glad that Aunt Jemima is being done away with, if you're a white, if you're a white person, don't respond to that by saying, yeah, but I still think it's stupid. Right. Exactly. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Wanted to clarify that. (laughs) Again, I'm naming no names. I just, that's a no. personal experience that I've witnessed recently. I just wanted to put that out there. So, again, thank though, and again, seriously, Brandy, thank you for taking so much time to talk to me about this stuff tonight and talking to the audience that I have, uh, because this is your perspective is definitely being honest, different than any other I've ever had on the show. Yeah. So that was really important to me, and I thought it would be good to do. And again, real quick, tell people, remind people again where they can find you and the different things that you're doing in your community. You can find me on Instagram at underscore I-B-R-A-N-D-I. Um, and a bulk of my work, a majority of my work is through um, in Moneyville, Knoxville. Um, that's my cash up for the bail fund through Venmo. Uh, You can donate to that if you believe in the mission of uh, Black Liberation. And you can follow that um, organization on Instagram at Knoxville's Black Mama's Bailout. I can also be reached um, on Song Knoxville's Instagram page. I work at Highlander, so if you want to get out there and do something with that, I'm the person that you connect with in general. Um, yeah, then ACS, if you want to give some funds for some grassroots organizations to get some work done, you can give to ACS through Venmo as well. Through the, it's just Appalachian Community Fund. I'm, I'll make sure, by the way, that whenever I post this in podcast form and on Facebook and everywhere, I'll make sure that I have all these links available for people. That way they're not trying to, like, write down as you're talking, like, It'll actually be one one click away, so be good to go there. Don't hang up just yet, but again, I want to thank Brandy Augustus for taking, I guess at this point it's been about an hour to sit and, and talk with me and the audience about this stuff, and hopefully we can um, stay in touch and have conversations like this again sometime, hopefully talk about some progress, and you know, we're in an election year for anyone that doesn't know, so there's, I feel like there's definitely some things we're going to need to talk about again if you're ever down for it. So I'm definitely down for it. Thank you again to Brandy Augustus for joining me on the Nate Show podcast uh, the last couple episodes. If you haven't, as I said, if you haven't heard part one yet, definitely go back and listen to that. Uh, She mentions all the different things that she's doing. There's links included here wherever you clicked on the podcast where you can, you know, be supportive and check out all the different things that she is doing. We'll be hearing from her in the coming weeks and months for some progress reports on all the things that she's doing uh, with that. So stay tuned for that. Uh, But again, it was really an honor and a pleasure to have her on the show this past week. And we've got some cool episodes coming up, uh, some things in the works. We're going to talk about uh, some things music related uh, here in the coming weeks. And I've got my good friend Whitney Williams joining the show. 
Um, also, at some point this month, we'll be looking to get that recorded here really soon. And then, you know, we're coming up on the three-year anniversary, sadly, of Chester Bennington of Lincoln Park's uh, tragic passing. So we'll be discussing that as well as as well as many other things coming up on the Nate Show podcast. You know, so I hope to have you back uh, again sometime soon. But if not, I get it. <laughs>